This is an AMI podcast. Have you ever wanted to find out some of the things we do and say on commercial breaks? Well, you're about to hear some things you've never heard before on the neutral zone. Be warned, as the saying goes on our show, you never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone. Viewer discretion is advised. We'll do it live. We'll do it live from AMI headquarters in the center of it all. Holy moly! This the most genius, unbelievable, is the most amazing, sensational, dramatic in history. The neutral zone. Oh my goodness! Hey guys, what's going on? It's another edition of the Neutral Zone. I am your host, Brock Richardson. Joined this week by Cuba Cam and Brett Wills. Gentlemen, how are we doing? I'm doing great. Um, you know, it was a fantastic week. I wasn't on the show last week, my week off. Took the advantage of being able to go to the annual horseshoe tournament, uh, JB's horseshoe tournament. And uh, the week ended off um, phenomenally on Friday. Um, uh, right now, I just want to give it a tribute um, to uh, a woman that is in my life that is the um, most influential person, uh, is the glue that holds the me together, my family together, and that's my mom. Uh, as of Friday, she retired after 50-some-odd um, years of working, um, and I just wanted to give a huge shout-out to her um, because she really deserves this retirement. I'm uh, you know, happy that she finally took... Um, the um, leap into retirement because that can be kind of scary. And, you know, back from her humble beginnings in uh, the township of Dixie or the um, uh, Toronto township, um, she grew up there. Uh, her first major career um, was working at Manufacturers Life Insurance. Um, it was around 1960 or 61. Um, then somewhere after that, she met my dad. She went into the printing office supply business after my dad sold the business, they ended up taking my mom in. And at that point in time, I believe it was Corporate Express. Um, and then after that, after Corporate Express, Staples, the business division, um, bought out Corporate Express. And yeah, like I said, after Friday, after uh, you know over 50 years of working, she's retired. And I'm so happy for my mom and all the best in retirement. I love you. Fantastic. Retirement is... Uh... Something I think everyone looks forward to when they get close to that uh, time. So congratulations to Mrs. Jenkins and the retirement and all the best in future endeavors. Are they going to do traveling? Do you uh, know? Well, I know for their f- uh, 50th anniversary, wedding anniversary, they went over to Europe and did a whole European vacation. So, um, but, you know, the, um, you, they usually go a couple of times a year down south, um, you know, um, and uh, hopefully they keep doing that. I know my mom's going to take a couple of months just to kind of uh, relax. Which Breathe she a little. Exactly. Totally deserves. And then I think after that, she's, uh, you know, going to be volunteering and giving back to the community. So, Fantastic. Well, all the best. Mr. Wills, how are you doing? I have no idea how I can... Uh... <laughs> how you can follow that lovely oh, tribute? So I'm just here so I don't get fined. Oh, so you're doing the... Uh... The Ray Rice Super Bowl, uh, Marshawn Lynch Super Bowl, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Marshawn. yeah. I, I'm just, I knew that. I'm just here so I don't get fined. That's <laughs> awesome, Jeffrey. How you doing? Pretty good. Yeah, I don't know if I can top anything like that. I was going to talk about how I went to go see the new Avengers movie last night. Uh, not usually into that type of thing. I'm not a big uh, superhero movie goer. I don't really keep up with any of that. But uh, I went. It was okay. The new movie was okay. Um, a little bit long. It was three hours. So a little oh bit too my. long for yeah. my liking. Did you have to take a pee break? No, I oh, didn't. I was kind of surprised. Well I, done. Well done. I didn't have to take a pee break, which was pretty uh, pretty impressive. But, yeah, the movie, okay. It was okay. Um, but I, I haven't really seen many of the other Avenger movies. I, I watched the previous one briefly. Um, I don't know. I couldn't really get into it. I'm more of a sports guy myself, but I do like action movies, and I, I used to like Spider Man, and that's the only reason why I kind of got drawn into the Avengers. But aside from that, no, I I don't know. But yeah, I went to the movies last night. 
And the movie theater that I went to just got a brand new renovation. And it is self-checkout. Like, everything is self like oh, wow. You grab your own popcorn. You grab your own drinks. You can. It's like a little uh, candy shack in there where you can grab your M&Ms. You can grab your your um, Swedish berries or whatever you want to grab. And then you just go up to the counter and, and pay for it. The one thing that I left scratching my head at is that how can you like how can they tell who's paid for their stuff and not like you can just grab a popcorn and just walk to your seat there's no security there's nobody really like i guess it's just like an honor system type thing that's what i was gonna say that's what it sounds like to me but i also noticed that they're gonna start to sell beer and wine i was just about to say i think it's down in texas i heard there's a movie theater where you can bring your pets in and then you can have unlimited wine i believe i heard you so can, let's you can go. bring in your own stuff? Well, no. You can uh, bring in your pets. So let's go. And So, when, so we're going to go down to Texas, have a road trip? Yeah, so I, okay. I can bring you in as my service as animal. Pet? Okay, and then I'm also going to drink all the wine as well, so that's not a problem there. I'll drink all the wine, too. Jeez. Oh, my goodness. All right, well. Are we, are we actually going to let that slide? Yeah, I'm just going <laughs> to try to transition out of yeah, that you one. You know what I, I've always been told about bullies? Just ignore them, and they'll go away. Except Brett keeps coming back. So, um, I, well, since we're all discussing uh, each other's weeks, I am going to give a shout out to the Kelly and Company crew who uh, I sat beside Remia Wednesday through Friday. Fantastic team and learned a lot of stuff. And um, it was a great week. And I will be going back in there next week to actually host Kelly and Company as they're on their trip to. Ottawa. So thank you to everybody over there and great team. Great to work with everybody. And uh, we'll do it again in the future. Ramya, thanks for putting up with our uh, our friend and uh, host. I'm glad you put the friend in there first. I'm quite impressed. <laughs> There's a little bit of sarcasm in his voice, but whatever. So on today's show, before we go to break, we're going to have uh, Stephanie Dixon, who is the chef de mission of the Parapan Am Games and also the Olympic game or Paralympic Games in Tokyo 2020. We're also going to take a deep dive in the Toronto Raptors, not one but two segments. All that and much more shenanigans coming up on the Neutral Zone. Stay with us, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone on AMI Audio and Voices for Ability. I am your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Brett Wills, Cuba Cam, and Jeff Ryman. If you want to get a hold of us, there's an easy way to do so, one 509 4545 If you go that route, that's our voicemail. And if you'd like your content played on air, you just have to leave us permission to do so, and we would be happy to have your message played on our show. With that, we're going to welcome in our guest for today, and this would be former Paralympian and now Chef de Michon for the Parapan Am Games and the Paralympic Games in 2020. That would be Stephanie Dixon. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. So I guess first, let's start by discussing what... um. Let me see. Where do we want to start here? My sheet just went blank on my computer. Hang on. <laughs> two seconds. Two seconds. Uh, okay. So no, let, take your time. Let's, uh, let's start by telling us how you became involved in um, both getting the chef de mission on for the Paralympics and the, um, the Parapan Am Games. Yeah, great. Um, so... I was a Paralympian myself, as you mentioned. I was a Paralympic swimmer, and I competed in three Paralympic Games, Sydney, Athens, and Beijing. And once I retired as an athlete, I still wanted to be a part of the Paralympic movement. I feel like it's such a powerful movement, and not just in the sporting world, but just in life in general, you know, empowering people with disabilities and and changing the rest of the world's perception of what ability is and what success is, and that everyone should be fully participating in life and, you know, having 
all the opportunities in the world to pursue the best life possible. So I really feel like that's what the Paralympic movement stands for. So once I retired, I was like, I still want to be a part of this. So post-retirement as an athlete, I have been to every Paralympic Games since retiring as a broadcaster, as a keynote speaker, um, as assistant chef de mission. And um, and I guess the, the progression had led to the chef de mission for the upcoming Parapan American Games in Lima this summer, as well as the Paralympic Games in Tokyo next summer and it's it's such an incredible honor you know to be um kind of leading the team and a spokesperson for the team as well as the head cheerleader and i feel like i have so much to offer from my experience as an athlete as well as these various other roles that i've played in the paralympic movement um you know i just have so much uh, experience and passion to give to our athletes and, and to the public to engage them with our athletes and Stephanie, uh, can you let us know what the transition has been like from Paralympic athlete to the administrative side of things? Oh, what a, yeah, what a great question. It, it's actually a really tough transition. And I think when anyone has spent, you know, the better part of their life dedicated towards something, you know, whether that's a specific sport or, or, or anything else, I think that the transition is always really hard when you're leaving that thing behind. And, you know, I kind of see it as like I climbed the same mountain for so long and then I, I made it to the top of the mountain you know it's one of the best Paralympic swimmers in the world eventually you have to come back down and start climbing a new mountain and that can be really challenging because you know you're an expert in your field you, you know what to do you have these objectives and measurable results and then to come back down and and to be part of the Paralympic movement in a different way it was challenging just to figure out my role and my purpose and to figure out you know what is the measurement of success on the other side so I would say it was a pretty big roller coaster trying to sort out what does life look like post-retirement um, as an athlete. It's just every day is so structured and, and you have, like I said, these, these, these goals and, and they're right in front of you. Uh, and the support team, you know, that support team is huge. Having a coach and my peers and, you know, a sports physiologist and a sports psychologist. And, and when you retire, you're kind of left on your own a little bit and, and have to figure out, uh, figure out your own way. So I would say it's definitely been a pretty big roller coaster, but I, I, I slowly but surely found my footing and found my way. And, and now I have a coaching business as well as being a chef de mission for, for the upcoming games. <laughs> Stephanie, speaking of challenges, knowing that you're such a decorated Paralympian, what is your biggest challenge going forward in your new role? Mm, great question. What is the biggest challenge? Um, you know, I... I feel so passionate about all Canadians knowing and celebrating, you know, the Paralympics as well as our Paralympic athletes. And so I think it's just a matter of, um, you know, partnering with, you know, CBC and, and, and all of these other corporate partners to, to try and create the biggest platform possible for our athletes. Growing up as a Paralympian, um, you know, at the time in, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, the Paralympic Games wasn't as well known. And the biggest challenge for me then was to really feel that my accomplishments were valued. So when I came home from my first Paralympic Games, most people didn't know what the Paralympics were. And it was really hard on my self-esteem and my identity to figure out, you know, well, I'm, I'm one of the best athletes in the world, yet nobody knows about it. So is it really that big of a deal? And, and that was really hard for me. So then now being in the role of chef de mission, I would say, you know, it's, it's a very welcomed challenge uh, is to make sure that all Canadians know who our athletes are, that all Canadians celebrate and engage with the Paralympics and the Parapan American Games. And, and, you know, it's not just because our athletes deserve it, but our country will be inspired. It is so incredible to watch Paralympic athletes and, and to get to know Paralympic sport. And I think we're creating role models for everybody. You know, we, we need to see people we identify with in positions of being heroes and role models. And the Paralympic Games does that. And so I would say, you know, my, my biggest task and uh, uh, a welcome challenge is to make sure that all Canadians are engaged with our athletes and their stories. And you may not be able to pick uh, one thing uh, when I ask this question. So what are some of the things that you're looking forward to in this role? 
I think I'm just looking forward. Uh, actually, the most I'm a relationship person. I I love engaging with people and connection, and so I'm really excited to get to know our athletes and to be able to provide as much mentorship and support and guidance as possible. So we'll have around 144 athletes competing this summer in Lima, um, and something similar as well next summer in the Paralympic Games in Tokyo. And I'm so excited to be in this role for the next year and a half um, to be able to build those relationships because I think that the most powerful thing in the world is having someone that believes in you and especially someone who's been where you're trying to get to and so I I just can't wait to get to know our athletes and, um, and and to give them that support. And Stephanie, you were talking about um, support. Can you maybe talk a little bit about um, your support system that you have as being a chef de mission? Yeah, the so uh, I am a representative of Team Canada and the Paralympic Committee, and I have an incredible support system. Uh, it's been really great to watch the Canadian Paralympic Committee grow over the years, and you know they have the most staff that they've ever had before, and I I feel like also the most passionate staff that I've ever seen before, and. So I will have tons of support through them as well as, you know, some of our corporate partners um, like Canadian Tire um, and, you know, and as well as CBC. You know, it it takes so many different areas and and facets to build a strong Paralympic movement. And from, you know, the media from CBC, the Paralympic Committee themselves, as well as our corporate partners like Canadian Tire, you know, we, I mean, myself as Chef de Mission, um, I have an incredible support system, but I'm also a part of that support system for our athletes and for moving the Paralympic movement forward in Canada. And can you elaborate on what it means to you or how you think it'll be helpful to have both the Parapan Am Games and the Paralympic Games in 2020? So, sorry, um, to have both the Paralympics and the Olympic Games? Sorry, sorry, the, the Paralympic Games and the, and the Parapan Am Games. Like, ha, ha. Uh, okay, yeah, being both. Yeah, this is actually the first time that uh, a chef de mission has, has done both games. So the Parapan American Games and then the Paralympic Games. And I love, I love the idea of the continuity because, like I mentioned before, relationships take time to build. And so I'll get to know so many of our athletes this summer at the Parapan American Games, which is such a – the Parapan American Games are um, one of my favorite international competitions. It's it's similar to the Olympics as in it's a multi-sport games. You have uh, an athlete's village where all of the different athletes from the different countries and the different sports stay together. Um, but it's on a smaller scale to the Paralympics because it's just the Americas. So North America, Central America, South America. And it really gives a chance for a lot of athletes to have their very first international multi-sport games experience and to make their mark on the international stage. So I'm really, really excited to see a lot of fresh new faces uh, and, and for this to kind of spark their fire and ignite that passion on a whole other level and make their mark on the international stage and then look forward towards qualifying to a Paralympic Games. So I think that starting with the Parapan American Games as chef is, is so exciting just to, you know, have a mix of our next generation of athletes as well as seasoned veterans um, for me to get a chance to get to know both sides, uh, uh, you know, develop the relationship with the veterans as well as get behind our new athletes coming up. And then we'll hit the ground running in Tokyo because we'll all already know so many of our athletes will have kind of set the stage and the tone of what our, our goals are and what our values are. And then, you know, when we come together for Tokyo at the Paralympic Games, that's, you know, the biggest show in the world, we'll already feel like a team. So I think that, you know, being chef for a year and a half is so beneficial and I'm really excited to take on this role. Can you give me an idea, because I know as an athlete, kind of when you go uh, to these events and, you know, what the process is, but as an administrator, how early do you go uh, to these to these games to get things prepared? So for Lima, we'll just go the one time. So we'll leave in the middle of August um, as, as uh, you know, the administrators and then as well as, as the rest of the team with the athletes and coaches. And, and the competition for Lima at the Parapan game starts on August 23rd. So we'll probably be there two weeks early to set up and get ready. Um, but then for Tokyo, we'll actually go over to Tokyo probably three or four times leading into the games because the Paralympics is 
such, you know, it's, you know, the, the biggest competition in, in, uh, in the world. So there's a lot more that goes into that preparation than to the Parapan American Games. So over the next year and a half, I think I'll be heading over to Tokyo a couple of times to meet the other administrators from the other countries, to gather all the information we need, to know what the challenges will be before we get there so we can mitigate um, any possible disturbances. You know, the goal of the the administrative team is to create the best possible environment for our athletes to perform at their best. So the the more things we can know ahead of time, the better we can prepare our athletes and then head into the game so they don't know anything else that's going on other than you know performing and and they have their blinders on to everything else and we take care of everything else so it'll be exciting to to go to Tokyo a couple of times and to get to know um you know the Japanese culture as well as you know kind of how the organizing committee is setting everything up and and what will go smoothly and what the challenges might be so that'll be really really exciting and and we've already met uh, as an administrative team on the Canadian side about Lima, about the Parapan American Games this summer. So we already have a great idea of what we're heading into. Um, and we've met with our national sport uh, organizations. So we've given them tons of information so they can kind of relay that to their athletes. So I think that, yeah, one of our biggest uh, tasks and our biggest roles is to make sure that we relay as much information as possible so our sports and our athletes can just they show up to either Lima or Tokyo and, and do the job and, and perform and experience, you know, the games as best as they can. Awesome. Well, Stephanie, we wish uh, you and the team uh, all the best in uh, success of these two games and I hope to have you on again down the line. Great. Thank you so much. And, and for all of our listeners, please follow us along. It's going to be such an incredible ride. And people can follow us at CDN Paralympics. And the Parapan American Games starts on August 23rd this summer. And, uh, yeah, it'll be a wonderful experience. And I hope that everyone follows our, our journey. Awesome. That was Stephanie Dixon, former Paralympian and Chef de Michon for both the Parapan Am Games coming up this summer and the Paralympic Games in 2020. Well, the NBA final is upon us, but we're going to spend the next two segments uh, discussing the Toronto Raptors. We're going to put a wrap on the uh, Eastern Conference final, and then we're going to talk about the NBA final also. Right after the break, here on the Neutral Zone on AMI-audio and Voices of Ability, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the second half of the Neutral Zone, which will be now dedicated the Raptors post-game, pre-game, and everything in between because the Toronto Raptors have reached the NBA final. Cam and I are going to uh, gloat in just a second when we get on to talking about the NBA final, but we're going to put a wrap on the uh, Eastern Conference final. The Toronto Raptors uh, defeated the Milwaukee Bucks by winning four straight games, and uh, which nobody really expected. Let's put a wrap on this series, gentlemen. What do you think? Giannis Antetokounmpo is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm impressed that you actually attempted to say that name. So I'm proud of you for that. Say, uh, say Giannis, and then I'll finish the last. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Go ahead. Attend to Kumpo. There you go. You should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's Mark. one of those moments where you should have you should have just left it at Giannis and just moved on. You know what? I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you got to go with. <laughs> Thank you, Jeffrey. I wanted to make an attempt at it before the end of the season, and obviously I failed. But uh, my my point is this: Giannis is a big baby. He had his post-game interview, and he got up and left. Yeah, totally agree. That, that That's classless. I don't care if you've won, you've lost. Just, um, yeah, it's, it is unprofessional. You just man up. Yeah. And, I mean, he did sit there and, you know, do part of the media thing, but then he just got 
ridiculous and yeah, it, it sure was is an experience, and I'm sure he's going to learn from that experience and become a better player this year or uh, next year rather. So, um, Sixers, they are certainly a team that's uh, going to be um, probably a force to reckon with for years to come. So, you know, it was their first experience up uh, against a good team, and obviously, I'm glad the Raptors uh, came out ahead. Brett, I'm sorry, you said Sixers, and we we're talking about the box. Uh, sorry about that. Yes, I made a mistake. There we go. Um, yeah, no, I just feel that it's uh, the the series against Milwaukee. To be perfectly honest with you, I didn't expect Toronto to win uh, four straight, uh, which is an accomplishment in itself. Um, you know, I do think Milwaukee's going to be a force, and I think they're going to be there, but I also think they need um, some some growing and some some maturity Jeffrey all teams do what say you about the Milwaukee or yes the Milwaukee Bucks yeah the Milwaukee Bucks they're they were a good team obviously they have one of the best players in the league most likely MVP of the regular season in Giannis um, but at the same time their bench just didn't come to play I thought Giannis had a great series and I feel like a lot of people were sort of poo-pooing on him just because uh Kawhi Leonard, yeah. when Leonard was on Giannis, it was obvious that Giannis was not happy about that, and his numbers (laughs) went down. Um, But he still put up some good numbers, and I think I mentioned this last week, that the bench for Milwaukee just didn't come out to play, and it was almost like the complete opposite of where prior to this series against Milwaukee, people were saying the Raptors need somebody else other than Kawhi Leonard to step up. And the entire bench of the Toronto Raptors really came to life. And people were saying that the bench of Milwaukee is just as good, if not better. So it's going to be a great battle between these two. And that Milwaukee bench just never woke up. They never got there. It was just Giannis. And they'd have, you know, one guy maybe aside from Giannis playing at a decent level. But aside from that... It just wasn't there for Milwaukee. So I feel like Giannis played good. Their superstar played good. He could have played better, of course, but he did play good. He didn't play bad. It was just, I think, the bench for Milwaukee is what ultimately lost them that series. Did anybody ever notice that as soon as Fred came back from uh, when his wife had a baby, he started playing? It was like a resurgence. He started playing like a man possessed. Because with the baby crying and him being there, you'd think that he may even play worse, but yet he played better. Yeah, but you know what? When we're on this show and I cry, that's when you are usually at your best, so. Well, you do that all the time, so. But actually getting back to what we're talking about, which is the Bucks and the Raptors and Giannis, uh, I think for the first couple of games he went off and he did phenomenal. However, it was starting game three when um, the glove, the hand, the claw, the claw, whatever the claw. his nickname is, <laughs> the claw. it was him. And he was kind of the major reason as to why the Raptors came back and why they did so well was because he was a phenomenal defender against Giannis. So, uh, and I'm not going to direct this at anybody. I'm just going to put it out there. Was it more of a case that Toronto adjusted better or is Toronto just flat out a better team than the Bucks. I think it's just Toronto was the better team than the Milwaukee Bucks. And people would say that they disagree, and they would probably allude to the fact that Milwaukee was the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, and they had two more wins. Milwaukee had two more wins than the, than the Toronto Raptors in the entire season. But the thing that doesn't pop up in that stat sheet is that Kawhi Leonard missed 22 games, either due to injury or due to load management. And I can almost guarantee you, if Kawhi Leonard was in that lineup for a couple more games, even if he only missed half of those 22 games, if he missed 11 games, Toronto would definitely be that number one seed. So for people saying that Milwaukee is the better team, no, I'm not buying. I think that Kawhi Leonard is the best play, was the best player um, for the Raptors throughout the regular season, obviously, 
And in the playoffs, he is the best player currently on this planet. And the best when, team with the best player usually wins the games. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Jeff, you, you make a good point, but I'm, I'm wondering if he had played half those games that he had missed, would he be at his best right now? That's a good question. I, I honestly don't know how to answer that. I think that's one of the biggest questions surrounding load management is that you're seeing it sort of pop up everywhere. You're even seeing it put put in baseball. You, Hockey has sort of said, no, we're not there yet, but I feel like we are going to see that eventually in hockey. But in baseball, you see it here in Toronto. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. apparently has a schedule where he has days off scheduled for him just for rest. And I know a lot of other athletes have that, but but usually, you know, back back even five, ten years ago, you'd see athletes play a full 162 games in baseball. I really now with basketball, it's still sort of up in the air. Clearly, I think it has worked to a certain extent. Kawhi Leonard looks fresh. Uh, people were sort of questioning, would he be rusty? There's clearly no rust on him whatsoever. So I, I think that even if you cut that in half, he'd still be where he is right now because he's just that good. But I honestly couldn't answer that question. I really wish that when I, when I was 20 years old, uh, I had had a load management schedule created for me because then I wouldn't feel it like I do at 35. But well, I, maybe you should have had it then and now. <laughs> 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 Bravo, Mr. Jenkins. Can we get a ding on that one? Because it was pretty. Uh, it was pretty well. There we go. It was pretty well illustrated. I, I think we all go through um, moments in sports where we need rest time. I mean, I remember, you know, as an athlete, you, you would get told you're having this game off because you know we have X number of games left in the tournament, and that's just that's how it is. I'm surprised it doesn't carry more over into hockey. And if you even if you even want to dissect the Milwaukee series, if you look at Kawhi games one through four versus game five, I don't know what in the heck they did. Alex McKechnie, the, the training staff, yeah, but he, he showed it to him. Looked like two different athletes from game four to game five. Like, I honestly thought this guy's going to come out and be on the ground because he's hobbling around, he's doing all... And he came out and just looked like the Kawhi Leonard being fresh, being ready. Yes, sir? Do you think that that was a design tactic that he that Leonard had, though, making himself look like he was injured just to get in the heads of the opposing team? Um, I would probably say no, not... Not to that extent. I mean, I know there's there's game and sh- there's gamesmanship totally, but I don't know if um, making an injury look worse than it is is part of that. I don't know. Can mix. you comment on that, Brett? Uh, have you ever done that in your career? I have no idea what you're talking about. As far as what uh, just Brock uh, had said. Yeah, I, I'm still not following. <laughs> He's he's ignoring you. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. Yes. I just have a quick note here, and it was from Michael Grange from Sportsnet. Great writer. And he just came out with a great article that sort of dives into the load management. And he has a quote here from the team's director. So Alex McKechnie got a text saying, once they acquired Kawhi Leonard... It says, quote, you're now the most important person yeah. in the organization. And that was a really good article that it was they a, did it's on load a, management. It's a really good article. I suggest everybody should read that, and that sort of dives into the load management issue. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just. And you know something? And it's been mentioned all year. This is why, and I don't want to dive too deeply into the NBA final right now because I still have one more question about the the Eastern Conference final. This is why they did what they did. They 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 know what they're doing. They wanted to get here. They want to be competitive. And who's complaining now? Like I love when Matt Devlin says, you know, what do you say about load management now? Nothing. Nothing. Because Kawhi's being a beast in the playoffs, and that's why you're saying, or why nobody is saying anything about uh, load management anymore. But we still don't know what load management actually is as a definition. So if you go to sportsnet.ca, there's a wonderful article up there, 
Go read it, and then I, you'll know a little I, bit more I, about I, it. I listened to Jeff 20 seconds ago. Mm-hmm. Thanks. My pleasure. <laughs> you guys are like, you guys are next level today. It's like, I just cut the knife, cut the tension with a knife here. It's nuts. That's the beauty of the neutral zone, folks. They do like each other. They just, there we go. The bell has been rung. Okay, so my final question on the Eastern Conference Final is Mike Budenholzer. Did he get outcoached by Nick Nurse, or did the team just play that much better? Brett, you may lead. I think we, sorry, I think I pointed out last week that Budenholzer, we know, was the guy that Masai wanted to coach here in Toronto this year. I pointed out what would have happened had Budenholzer been in the seat that Nick Nurse is in and Nick Nurse was in the seat that Budenholzer was in flip-flopping in terms of this series. Right, and what do you think would have happened? I I think that Nick Nurse would have actually taken the Bucks to the promised land. Interesting. I'm not going to suggest that Nick Nurse is the X factor because he probably isn't. It's probably it probably is Kawhi, but he definitely outcoached Mike Budenholzer. Well, the players have to play it, so I think it's ultimately in the players' hand. However, um, with the coach too, I think Nick Nurse is the uh, better coach because uh, he's the person that put the wall up in front of Giannis. He wasn't able to uh, slash to be able to get to the basket. He ended up having to do a lot of jump shots, and that's why I believe Nick Nurse. Uh, is a better coach because, well, obviously he went to the finals, but he had a better game plan. So are you suggesting that Donald Trump should call Nick Nurse to build a wall? Um, no, because <laughs> I don't particularly care for Donald Trump, so <laughs> he doesn't belong on this fair, program. Fair enough, Gabbard. <laughs> All right, I think that, with the Donald Trump reference, we'll put a wrap on this Segment, and we're going to take a deep dive into the NBA final, which is one game deep. And the Toronto Raptors have a one nothing series lead. We'll deep dive into it right after the break. Stay here with us. We'll be back. want to answer the question because you knew what the answer is going to be about you playing goalie <laughs> playing hurts getting hurts oh jeff the only thing that i ever got hurt was my ego because i didn't have five guys in front of me that knew what they were doing ever <laughs> <laughs> sure blame it on everybody else again it's about it's always the victim here no not a when you can relate it back to reality it's never victimization <laughs> You're so the victim, playing the victim, rather. Remember the teams that I played in front of? Did I ever blame them? You had America in front of you all the time. Uh, The Cruiser Silver Streaks when you were my defenseman? Seriously? Was I ever your defenseman? Yeah. Oh. You should come back and play net. (laughs) Sure. At least I'll be a team player, and I won't uh, blame all the other players in front of me. I'm a team player. Brock loves me. I love everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think Kawhi is doing it on purpose? I think that's a valid question. Do you think Brett being in net and playing hurt? That could be a valid question, too. You just chose not to answer it. I didn't understand the question. Oh, yeah. That's it. (laughs) Oh, excuse me. This is where I'm going to mention that we don't have to pay for a dinner. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because we got lucky in being correct in our predictions. We're, We're actually on time today. Holy snikers. This has never happened. You created a word. 
welcome back to the Neutral Zone AMI Voices for Ability Broadcast booth. And we are set to get this ball game underway. The first pitch brought to you by Brock Richardson's Twitter account at NeutralZoneBR. In the first pitch, strike. And hey, gang, why not strike up a Twitter conversation with Brett Wills from the Neutral Zone? Find him at Neutral Zone Brett. Swinging a chopper to second base. Rukavina up with it. Throws over to first in time. Routine out. Richardson is retired. And folks, there is nothing routine about connecting with Cam Jenkins from the Neutral Zone on Twitter. Gather the family around. Type in at Neutral Zone Cam J. And you're on your way. And that organ interlude was brought to you by AMI Audio on Twitter. Get in touch with the Neutral Zone. Type in at AMI Audio. We'll be back after this word from the Neutral Zone. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone on AMI Audio and Voices for Ability. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Jeff, Brett, and Cam. Well, we talked about the Eastern Conference Championship Series. Now we're going to talk about the NBA Final. And because the Toronto Raptors made it to the NBA Final, myself and Cam, our pockets are a little more full because we do not have to pay for a dinner because we predicted in October that the Toronto Raptors would win the Eastern Conference. What say you about your victory of predicting it properly? Just dumb luck. All right. I just guessed and uh, based on the team that they had and was, oh, actually Kawhi was there um, when we predicted in October. So, yeah, I'm not going to come on here and say that, oh, yeah, I did it based on this and that and the statistics. Yeah, it's just dumb luck. So I have to tell you, and I'll pull back the curtain in my life a little bit, because when I made this bet, my girlfriend, I came home and she said, really? You did it again? And I said, yep, because I'm that confident that the Raptors are going to win the East. And she said, and I quote, what happened the last time you made a bet? And I said, yeah, we're not going to talk about that because we're going to win this bet. <laughs> and I was victorious, so I am very happy. So now that it's over and you won the bet, what happened the last time you made a bet? We went out for a meal because I... So why are we talking about the past? Let's talk about that, how he won this bet and doesn't have to. Can you make another bet, like, really soon then? No. Please? No, and, I, and I'm not even... I'm oh, how not, about you, Brett? You can make one too, you know? I'm not even going to... I actually still think you owe us pickled onions from from your bet. You think you still owe us about three. I think I owe you about six, and they're still in my fridge, and they're probably expired. So I'll bring them oh, in. That's the perfect time to I'll eat bring, Even I'll better. I'll, I'll, even I'll, better. I'll bring them in, and I will punish myself <laughs> on air. So, the Toronto Raptors, game one, broadcasted on both ABC and Sportsnet. They won game one against the Golden State Warriors. Now, without Kevin Durant, but what say you about the Toronto Raptors? Go. About the Toronto Raptors, I think they played a really good game one. Um, they came out to play, and they were ready, unlike Golden State. Uh, it really bothered me this week, I, and I don't know if it was the coach or if it was one of the players that basically said, well, we've only played the Raptors a couple of times this year, and we don't have a lot of video on them, and now we have some video on them, so we're going to be able to better prepare. And it's like, do you not get video from the other playoff games that the Raptors have played this year? It doesn't necessarily have to be how they played against you specifically. So I think that was just an excuse. They... Um, were cocky. They came out. They thought they were going to sweep this series, and yeah, that's what I think ended up happening. Is is uh, the Raptors were very prepared, and Golden State was not prepared. I think that the Toronto Raptors game planned better than the Golden State Warriors, and the reason is because the Golden State Warriors, and rightfully so, they obviously spent the majority of their time looking to double and triple team Kawhi Leonard. And the thing is, though, when you double and triple team Kawhi Leonard, that means there's one or two guys who are going to be wide open. So basically, Golden State said, hey, we're going to force your other guys to make shots. And that's exactly what they did. Pascal Siakam, 14 for 17 for 32 points, was just unbelievable. And against uh, Draymond Green, who's one of the better or one of the best defenders in the entire NBA. Just so, ask him. Yeah, just, exactly. Just <laughs> ask him. 
Uh, but I, I think it was just sort of Golden State saying, we're going to double and triple team Kawhi. Let's see what the Toronto Raptors are made of. And to me, that's a little bit disrespectful because the way that Toronto's bench and secondary players, and I hate using that word secondary players because all the players are, are, are good on the Toronto Raptors. But Pascal Siakam really showed up. Even Danny Green, who's been struggling throughout the finally, playoffs. Finally, finally. Exactly. Oh, Danny Green sense. was nailing his three-pointers. <laughs> Fred Van Vliet Sr. has been uh, lighting it up ever since the Senior. birth of Freddie Jr. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it was kind of disrespectful, I think, from the Golden State Warriors to try to do that. But at the same time, can you really blame them? Because if you let Kawhi Leonard go one-on-one with basically anybody in this entire universe, he's going to roast them. So I, I feel like... Uh, Golden State was a little bit puzzled in that game one. Two points. Number one, Skip Bayless and Stephen A. Smith are the biggest homers on the face of the earth. And I'm tired of reading their tweets and watching them on television because it just makes me sick to my stomach, literally. Hey, Stephen A. has sort of warmed up to Toronto. I yeah, think he he's, start, he's slowly one. starting yeah. to come around. He he Jeff, you're right. I was watching him around Skip Bayless, seven. too, actually did a good tweet about the Raptors. I was watching Stephen A. Smith around 7 o'clock last night. And he started ripping into them, and I guess his show's about an hour. And for the last 15 minutes, he was like, yeah, but they're good here, 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 and here. And the city is good here, 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 and here. And the people of Canada, oh, my goodness. And, I, again, it, it made me sick to my stomach. Secondly, on before game one, they the Golden State Warriors announced that DeMarcus Cousins was going to play. But why did he play? He played six minutes of garbage ball. Yeah. He he can't defend anybody in transition. It's, but you t- and it's I, hilarious. You and I talked about the reason. They needed a body, man. Like, their bench was not. The Raptors don't need a body? Well. They've got pa- guys like Patrick McCaw playing. And I'm not going to smash bash Patrick McCaw. He's doing his best. I was going to say he, he drained a three. I so. know, no, no, I, I know. But when when you've got guys like Patrick McCaw and Jeremy Lind, who was good what eight years ago for one season, how long did they play in the game? It doesn't matter because they're role players. Exactly. Demarcus yeah. Cousins is not supposed to be a role player. No, but he's just coming back from an injury, and you want to get him into the game, I was, but you don't want to overuse him, so you put him in for the six minutes or whatever he no, was No, but in. he looked terrible. He did. He looked horrible. I think uh, it was one of those, like, Jedi mind tricks that Steve <laughs> Kerr is trying. Jedi mind trick. <laughs> he's trying to get, I think, into the head of Nick Nurse saying, hey, our big guy and all-star DeMarcus Cousins is healthy, so you better guard me. Cameron. But the thing is that DeMarcus Cousins is just – awful right now and the, like he was 0 for 2 from the field hit a couple of free Let's throws see what he's like at the end of the series though if he's getting six minutes a game or it goes up and he I, gets a little bit i better, think if i'm the toronto raptors i i want demarcus cousins playing because it's just an easy matchup the guy's clearly not 100 percent right now and i'll take that and he's not a good defender to start with so i and feel like you put durant in if he's not I at would, 100%, I would put Durant if he's at 50%, I would if he's take at 40%. Kevin Durant at 20% as opposed to DeMarcus Cousins at 100%. Mm. Oh, that's a huge... Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's entirely fair to DeMarcus Now, now you're just being silly. No, 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 no. I, I think, obviously, Kevin Durant is one of the top best three players on the planet. So uh, him, I agree with that. Him at, him at 20%. Is way better than Demarcus Cousins at 100. percent No, I I, I, I think I think that's a little bit of a stretch there. I'm a big Demarcus Cousins fan, but when you tear your quad, mm-hmm. just let that soak in. He tore his quad at a guy who's 6'11", 270 pounds, and you're playing a Cousins. Or are you talking about Durant? Cousins? Okay. Like, that's just a awful injury. To- oh, for sure. Some people yes, don't ever Brett, come you're back raising your hand. I can't feel my legs, so I don't know what tearing my quad would ever feel like. I have no sympathy for him. The fact that he played six minutes, that was a big error on the, on the side of Steve Kerr. I give him credit for the fact that he needed a, an extra body, but it was a mistake, and it's going to be Let's a bigger mistake going forward. Let's see what happens when the series going forward, and he gets there and gets more in game shape. Let's see what happens. All I am saying is that DeMarcus Cousins, I love him as a player. He's a great player when he's healthy, Healthy. 100% healthy, even 80%. But I don't even think he's 80%. I'd say he's more like 50 to 60% because he looks slower. 
Uh, he, he looked a little bit. I mean, even when you're a hundred percent coming back to game action, uh, you know, you have he's been out for what six, seven weeks now. Like, oh, yeah. there's gonna be rust no matter what. Absolutely. So if I'm Nick Nurse and the Toronto Raptors, I'd almost welcome the fact that DeMarcus Cousins go right at him. I'd be like, yeah, yeah. sure, play him. He's, he hasn't played in a while, and he's coming off of a quad tear. Like, it's just a bad injury. Speaking of someone that hasn't played in a while, and I and I want to know if what you guys think. Kevin Durant, first of all, is he coming back in this series, in your guys' opinion? And what kind of effect will he be even if he does come back given that he hasn't played in about three or so weeks well i, I don't know brett do you want to answer this because there's sources out there uh talking about this so uh so as was, far as that he's there, there, coming there, back in game so three? Sh- shane smith who's been a uh, guest on our show bumped into kevin durant this week at the one of the rehab hospitals here in toronto yeah, yeah. And uh, he said he looked good. That that means absolutely nothing. Does he come back? He probably comes back maybe game four, game five. Does he make an impact? He will make a little bit of an impact. He will have uh, an opportunity to keep Golden State in games. But I don't think he makes that much of an impact that they end up winning the series. But I thought you didn't like sources. I thought this was a conversation this morning on Twitter that you didn't like sources. I, I like sources that I know. The sources that I don't know are a, a completely different story. I know Shane Smith. So they're they're invalid if you don't know the source? They're not invalid. They're just not important to me. Just to chime in here, I think Kevin Durant does come back. The reports do say game three, game four. I game think more so three. game four. Will he have an impact? I say absolutely. Whenever you have one of the best players on the planet in your starting lineup, I think you always have to game plan to, to try and stop him. And even if Kevin Durant's at 50% or whatever it may be, He's better than most guys at 100% Absolutely. at 50%. So you're Raptors, always going to have to guard that guy. Yeah, the Raptors are going to be in a little bit more trouble if uh, Durant comes back, even if he's not at 100%. So. Do the Raptors win the series? Yes or no? And in how many? Yes, seven. Jeff? I think it's going to be tough, but I agree with Cam. Raps in seven. If Brett, they yeah, they are going to win, but if they don't win in six, they're going to lose in seven. Oh, no, I think that's where you're wrong because the seventh game is at Scotiabank. I'm going to take the Raptors in, wait for it, six, folks. Six games. The Toronto Raptors are going to win the NBA final. That is the end of our show for this week. I would like to thank Cam Jenkins, Jeff Ryman, Brett Wills. I'd also like to thank our technician. Oh, I already did that. And he's also our technician, Jeff Ryman. I'd also like to thank Andy Frank, who's our manager of AMI-audio. Tune in next week because you never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone. Game th- 2 goes Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Have a great weekend.